Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Jesse Moore, and welcome to Icon Leadership Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Icon Leadership Podcast. Today on our show, we have Chaplain Blake Harridge. Hello, Blake. How are you? I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you. Hey, so what I understand is that uh, you do magic tricks. I do. <laughs> this show is not about magic tricks. It's about leadership, but I want to hear about these magic tricks you do. Yeah. Tell yeah. me something about it. Well, I started off learning about magic when I was in elementary school. And I loved it. It was a way to break out of my shyness. Okay. It was a way to meet people. Sure. And I learned all these tricks and illusions. And I would get a crowd around me after school. Ended up loving that feeling of performing and seeing wonder in people's eyes. And so I started learning more and more. Started doing shows. And well, good. Has always kept it on the side. Right, right. So are you still doing it now? Or Oh, goodness. Ugh. The last show I did was a just a fundraiser show. Oh, yeah? So basically every now and then I'll do a lot of fundraiser shows. All right, okay. I hate to put you on the spot, man, but uh, okay, I heard that. Okay, I got another <laughs> thing for you I heard. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. You used to look for paranormal activity. Is that okay. right? <laughs> Tell me about okay. that. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's uh, a funny – when I was little, uh, going through elementary school, and it seemed like – Every other month, I had a new obsession, a new passion, a new interest. And it went from being an archaeologist at Indiana Jones to being a storm chaser because I watched <laughs> the movie Twister to uh, paranormal investigating because I'm sure I watched some movie. And so it was really interesting. Oh, ghosts. Is that real? Take pictures. What's that like? Oh, yeah. And so it's, I'm always like one of those one and done. I feel like I... Besides magic and right. chaplaincy, of course. Sure, sure, Once sure. I put my mind to it and I try to do it and I've done it, then I'm right. like, okay, move on. Kind of one of those jack of all trades, but yeah. master of Meth none. Doesn't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sound like myself. Yeah, I got it. I got it. So tell me, so, uh, okay, so that was in, you know, when you're younger, go to high school. Where'd you go to college? I went to Baylor. Baylor. Whoa. Yeah, Yay, yeah. Baylor. Go Bears. Went from San Antonio to Baylor. Okay. So it was going from a big you know, uh, town to a small town. It right. was different for me. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I went from a small private school, which, yeah, it was, it was a okay school. But sure. It was a small private I, school. I got it. To a huge university. And so that was a big change for me in that area, too. Right, I got it, I got it. So you went to uh, theology? Uh, so in uh, Baylor, I did an undergrad of uh, majored in religion and minored in history. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then from there, went to Truett. Truett, okay. Yeah, yeah, Truett Seminary, everybody. Shout out to Truett Seminary. Yeah, I got All my right. Master's in Divinity. Good, okay. And I uh, was a pastor at church for a few years. Sure, sure. And 
and uh, then that ministry came to an end and did uh, magic for a little bit, traveling around different churches. Sure, okay. Around the states and everything, performing. And after that, uh, I knew I was still called to the ministry. Right. And uh, chaplaincy sounded really interesting to me. Sure. And I thought I could just jump right into it. Right. Come to find out, whoa, there's a lot of schooling you need to do to <laughs> learn about chaplaincy. And it's not just something that retired pastors do or anything right. like that. There's actual intense education. Sure. Uh, clinical pastoral education. I've exactly. been there, done that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, you That's, did it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about your time. Did you like that? Oh, man. Oh, it, man. It was deep. Yeah. Man, you got in touch with your feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and oh man, I, I man, it, it was, it was kind of wild because some of those things that, you know, the instructor, you know, at that time, I think it was Ross Davis, man, he made you really, really reflect, you know? And so I had some things that was down deep down on the inside of me that I really had to, you know, had to bring out, you know? And so, man, it was just, it was a lot of times that, man, we were crying. Yeah. So were you able to feel like you were able to bring it out? Oh yeah. Or did you react differently to no, it? Man, I, I brought it out wow, because, because awesome. I felt like I was amongst people who cared. I was among other, you know, ministers and everything that, you know, and striving students, CPE mm-hmm. students, you know, that really needed to see that side and know that it was okay. You know, I didn't get, I wasn't until I wasn't really, uh, I would say until I got in my thirties, you know, man, I didn't want to, my, my feelings were all closed up, mm. you know what I'm saying? Until when I got like mid thirties, early, early forties, that's when I started opening up a little bit, you know? Mm. And so getting in touch with my, you know, my inner self, you know, and realizing that, you know, God has my back no matter what, mm. you know? And so therefore that's what, you know, CPE did for me, you know? I'm so happy to hear that you had that experience because do you feel like after you had that experience that almost everyone should do CPE? Man, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because it's all about learning about yourself and right. learning to live into your own skin. Right, right. Celebrating that, recognizing right, that. Right, right. And understanding what you bring into the room when you're with right. patients. Absolutely. And it's just something that I feel like every uh, every field in the medical field sure. should be able to experience that and learn more about themselves through CPE. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then you you start, you, 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 you encounter a lot of other people, a lot of people that need help. You know, mm-hmm. I remember like uh, years ago, uh, they called me one time and it was like, Hey, this lady, you know, she's, she's saying that she, you know, wants to, uh, you know, doesn't want to live anymore. And then, so I go up, I run up and I'm, I'm talking to her and, and, and just doing my thing, just talking, you know, just sit down, just, you know, listening to her, you know, listening to her, let her talk to me. And so after a while, after about an hour, she said, I, I said, okay, I got to go back. You know, I got to go downstairs. And she's like, I think I feel better now. I just needed to talk, <laughs> you know, and it makes you feel good. Yeah. It, it makes you feel good, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that you know, the CPEs, you know, those clinical pastoral education hours, man, they're, they're, they're great. Everybody mm-hmm. should go through them. So mm-hmm. tell me, what made you want to be a chaplain, though, of, of all things? Very good question. So a lot of people ask me, like, what's my why? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. Uh, and there's two parts to that. The first part is I was born with congenital heart disease. And so I had a lot of heart problems when I was first born. And in total, I have probably had about five open heart surgeries and a couple angioplasties throughout my life. Uh, I have a mechanical valve. So maybe even on the podcast. Sure. Sort of quiet. You can hear it ticking. It almost sounds like a watch ticking. It's really crazy. Oh, yeah. you're about to listen. I don't know. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I'll be listening for it when I'm in your office. My wife, that when we were dating, sure. that I was trying to hit on her. Because I was like, if you lean in really closely, you might hear a tick. And she was like, sure, yeah, whatever. But, uh, and I had a cardiologist who really sat down and every visit took time to listen to my story. Right. Not just ask how I'm feeling physically, but how am I doing emotionally? How am I doing spiritually? Because I was a little kid growing up with all these problems. Sure. And so maybe I'm acting differently in school. Maybe I'm behaving differently with my friends or with my family. And he really sat down and wanted to understand all these asset aspects about me. So it was more of a holistic focus and sure. care. Sure. And uh, then it just blew my mind that not all doctors do that. Not all doctors can do that. Not all doctors have the opportunity to do that. And that's where chaplaincy can also come in as well. And it coincides with my core belief and my ministry, mm -hmm. because as a Christian, I believe that we are all created in the image of God. And I feel a sense of obligation to advocate for the patients that are in my care. Absolutely. To be able to help them understand what they are going through to be able to help their communication when it comes to communicating with the medical team mm -hmm. and then to help the communication to understand what the patient is saying to the medical team. So it goes both ways in right. that sense. And so my why stems from what I experienced as a kid and growing up with my cardiologist and how he viewed my care in a holistic way mm -hmm. and cared about my spirituality and my emotional well-being. And wanting to see that interwoven through clinical care. Sure. You know, the idea that we are not just addressing your pain physically, mm -hmm. but also emotionally. Absolutely. Spiritually. Right. And so that's what I loved about chaplaincy. Right, right. I get it. But, you know, and, and so and so I, I think our lives, you know, when we're Christians and we really, you know, uh, pay attention to how God is working in our lives. We, once we get to know him, we start listening to him and he start guiding us, you know, down this path that he wants us to go to, you know, to go, you know, to go through. And so I remember when I got into, uh, when I got into x-ray school, I, man, I don't, I don't even know why I got into x-ray school to tell you the truth. <laughs> you know, it was a, it was, I remember when I was about 19 or 20 x-ray school came into my mind and it, Poof, just that quick, it left. Yeah. And I thought I was going to be a waiter for life, you know. So, <laughs> I was, so I've been a manager of a restaurant for a little while. And for, matter of fact, for a long time, shift leader and stuff like that. Uh, and so then all of a sudden, you know, uh, I got into radiology. And then so I'm like, well, God, you know, I thought this is my last chance. But my life was changing at that time. So I said, you know, this is my last chance. I have to get this. I have to get this down pat. And so when I was in clinicals, I got with this, uh, I went to this, uh, this clinic, uh, uh, orthopedic surgeon clinic, and I worked for about uh, six different orthopedic surgeons. And I had this clinical instructor that was really, really mean. <laughs> she was mean, man. She was mean. When I say mean, she was mean. Yeah. But she taught me everything that I know when it comes down to radiology, diagnostic radiology. But she was mean to me. She used to, I'm 25, 26 year old black guy and I'm in the corner crying because this tall six foot two white lady, you know, is telling me, you get your butt in there, you do this right here. But this was my last chance. I felt this was my last chance. I really, really, you know, I got to get this, you know. So, but when she would, so uh, she had some things that happened in her life. Um, and so she was like, hey, I want you, I got to leave. 
I want you to do all the x-rays and I'm going to get this other traveler or this, this temp tech. You just shoot up under his license. I don't want him to do anything because I've taught you enough to know, you know, uh, so he doesn't know the, uh, the orthopedic surgeons like you do the, all the different views for all you people that's out there in the radiology land. So he would sit there and I take all the x-rays. And so after a while she came back and she said, Jesse, what are you going to do with your life after you're done? I say, well, hopefully I can get a job after I leave here. You know, <laughs> she said, well, you're not going to get a job. You know, I'm taking that right now. Not with this, uh, this just little classes, like, uh, maybe 17, 17 weeks of some x-ray training or something like yeah. that. You know, you're not going to get a job. You need to go in and get another job and, you know, get a, get another job, go to another school and get your radiology degree. I was like, oh man, I don't want to go. All I want to do is just finish up with this little course here. Go take some x-rays, you know, make a little money. You know, I, that's all I want to do. She say, well, I'll tell you what, if you find another school to go to, I will pay for it. Mm. And I'm like, oh my, but look, remember this one thing, this lady, she was, she was a, a Jewish lady. They had plenty of money. Yeah. Her, her dad died and left her millions. Mm -hmm. And I remember her talking on the phone, telling somebody else, she said, Hey, if you get this guy in school, I would pay for him to go to school and I will pay for another person to go to school. If you get him in school, wow. cause she knew the lady that was over the classes. But remember, this is the lady that told me when I walked through the door that she didn't like me because she thought I was a thug. But one thing my mama told me was keep praying for her. <laughs> she said, keep praying. I was like, mom, mom, I can't take it. Yeah. You just sit there. Look, Jay, that's what she would tell me. She's like, look, JJ, you stay there and you make a man out yourself. You keep praying for her. And my God. I can't me, imagine how hard that must have been. That was very hard because I'm man, dude. I'm 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 dude. <laughs> she was right. I had a little thug still yeah. on me, you know what I'm saying? But I was trying to change my life around. Mm. But guess what though? By me praying for her, man, mm. my God made it able for her to pay for me to go to school and somebody else to go to school. Mm. Mm. So beautiful. and guess what? I've been touching lives ever since. Mm. God put me in that position. You understand? So I can tell this story to people yeah. because I didn't, at one point in time, I said, you know what? I, I hate white people. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Because, but not all white people are the same. Yeah. Not all people are the same. You know, I really, so God was working on me because mm. I had that mentality. You understand what I'm saying? So you're this 26-year-old, 27-year-old yeah, kid. You're yeah. going to this class. Absolutely. And this tall white lady is looking at you and saying, yeah. you're a thug. Absolutely. You hate all white people. Yeah, because she called me a thug. She don't yeah. know me. Yeah. Yeah. How are you able to pray for that individual? Man, that's the hardest man. That, that Dude, but my mom, a PK's kid. Yeah. <laughs> all right. My mom, a PK's kid, told me. But I have seen my mom. My mother praying so many times and I had so much church in me mm. that I already knew that, you know, my thing, I know prayer is going to change everything, but I don't want to pray. It just hurts. Mm. You know, it just hurts. I want to, I want to sit here and I want to hurt mm. a little while, yeah. you know, but I'm telling you, man, God makes a way for all of us. Mm. So man, so now what I do, man, I treat everybody the same. Mm. Don't color, color doesn't look, dude, inside of us, all of our blood is red. Mm. You're my brother. Mm -hmm. if this young lady over here, she's 
Asian, I think, uh, different nationality, but she's my sister. Mm. You know, that's how I look at everybody. But God put me in the position at work. And people tell me, say, I can see something in you. Mm. Your mom sure taught you well. Sometimes I have to pray for people that's in it. Are you a praying man? Yes, ma'am. Mm. I am. And so, you know, God put me in that position. Like I said, I wasn't, I don't know, actually popped up in my life. But man, at that time, I'm, look, I'm just trying to do something to make a living, you know, right now. But God put me there, you know. So, you know, enough about me. But, you know, God will, <laughs> will God will steer us, steer us in the way, you know, that he want us to go. Mm. He'll, he'll do that. He'll turn us around. You might not, don't have a clue why I'm here. You know what I'm saying? So, but it, but it happens. Enough about me. So. How did you get to be a uh, your director? Well, manager. Your manager. Okay, yeah. your manager. So, uh, so how many chaplains do you manage? So we have three full time staff, and then we have seven PRNs. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow! Wow! <laughs> That's a lot, man. Great team. That's a great team. Good. Is it hard to supervise chaplains? Is it hard to supervise chaplains? Yes. <laughs> and no. That's, man, is it hard to supervise chaplains versus now let me say this is because <laughs> my only other experience is supervising volunteers okay and i will say it's a lot easier supervising chaplains than it is volunteers uh, <laughs> uh chaplains are great right uh <laughs> and so yeah it's 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 fun mm-hmm. uh, i've been having a wonderful time uh, i came in from this position from palliative care and so managing chaplains was new for me. Sure. Uh, but it's been a very enjoyable process. Been in this role for about seven, eight months. Okay. Good. We're good. So tell me, uh, what's the most important decision you make as a, a chaplain, as a leader as of a your leader, team? The most important decision that yeah. I make as a leader. So I feel like my whole managing philosophy, and this was big for me to think about, was... When I became a manager of pastoral care versus a chaplain, staff chaplain, my priorities shifted. When I was a staff chaplain, my focus was on the patient and protecting the patient, being an advocate for the patient, uh, being in charge of the spiritual care for that patient. When I became the manager of pastoral care department, my priorities shifted to where it's not on the patient, but more on the employees, on those staff chaplains and those PRNs. And if I can manage to improve uh, their purpose, why they're doing things, Mm -hmm. uh, and if I can improve themselves and help with education for them, and then if I can improve the process of all that it takes to be a chaplain, then I'm going to be a good manager. Gotcha. And things are going to work out great. So if I take care of those people and focus on them, then their main job, which is the patient mm-hmm. in the hospital, mm-hmm. is to take care of them. Sure. So if I just focus on the patient and bypass them, yeah, then I'm going to miss so much of their buy-in, right. their creativity, and everything that they can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of the cha- uh, challenges that a, a chaplain, a Faces. manager, a manager uh, of a chaplain has? Uh, the, the main it's, it's the same challenge that a chaplain has is helping everyone understand what a chaplain is. Because when you think chaplain, you're thinking, uh, especially in the South, if a random person hears the word chaplain, they're right. going to think of an evangelical pastor that's going to come into the room and hit them over the head with the Bible. 
And that is far from what a chaplain does. Right. A lot of people might think, well, we're this just there to pray for individuals. Sure. And no, while we might pray with individuals, that is not what we're there for, to pray for people. That's not our main focus, our right. main role. Our main role is to do spiritual assessments and to be able to understand if an individual is in spiritual distress, has uh, any needs when it comes to what's important to them at this time. Because chaplains, we're not just here for people who are Christian or people who are religious, but we are here for all people. Sure. And so we're going to address the spiritual needs for every patient in the hospital. And that's a big thing to understand. So we're not here to just be for the Christian patient or the Jewish patient or the uh, Muslim patient. Sure. We're here for all patients. And that's a big distinctive for everyone to understand because our main role is to get into that room, find out what's important to that patient, sure. making sure that they are connected to whatever it is that that's important to them sure. and making sure that that is beneficial to them during this time in the hospital. Got it. And that can be anything. So, for example, uh, a case that when I was in hospice back in the day was there was this individual who was uh, suffering from this specific disease and he was pretty young mm -hmm. and uh, he had great pastoral support. His church his pastor came and visited him every week and I could tell he was not in any spiritual distress and then we kept talking and I understood that he's a big Star Wars nerd like me <laughs> and so we started talking about Star Wars and how his dad took him to go see A New Hope in theaters and come to find out his dad died of the same disease that he died of oh wow and I was able to randomly google Disney email address. Right. And when I Googled this, uh, I was able to email Disney and told the story on behalf of the patient. And I got a call from Disney that evening. And by that weekend, they flew out a representative. Oh, and man. And had a private showing for the end of the Skywalker saga, the Rise of Skywalker, which was going out, going on during that time. And so that patient was able to experience the conclusion of the Skywalker saga and that connection to his father and that connection to his uh, hobbies of being in uh, love with Star Wars. Right. And so while on the surface, it might not seem like that was something what a chaplain would do, but it's exactly what a chaplain would do. Got it. Got yeah. it. You met his needs. Mm -hmm. Right. What great, great, great. What does so so what does it take to be a, a, a good chaplain? Uh, being a good listener or, or, or what? It takes being patient and open. Okay. Patient in the sense of being able to learn and develop active listening skills, being open to the sense of not judgmental and having a loving characteristic personality to yourself and a protectiveness. Sure of the patient, of the family, of wanting them to get the care that they deserve, care that you would want your family to deserve. Sure. And so those are the main qualities that I look into my chaplains. Sure, sure, sure. So what are some mistakes that you see chaplains make sometimes? Uh, going in there and uh, quickly going to, hey, can I pray for you? 
Uh, thinking that that's yeah, that's all what they want. For, yeah, right, right. They need to conclude the visit so they quickly right. jump into prayer, right, and stuff like that. That's one of the biggest mistakes that I see chaplains do, or they will. Uh, the biggest mistake a chaplain can do is if they push their religion onto the patient. Right. That's the biggest no-no in chaplaincy. Right. And so we're never there to proselytize, sure. evangelize. We're always there to listen to the patient, meet them where they're at, sure. and meet the needs that they have. Uh, and even whatever religious resource they need, whatever connection that we can help with them, sure. we're there for that. Sure. Uh, we're never there to, especially if it's an end-of-life situation, sure. hey, we're not going to change your worldview that you've had for 60, 90 plus years sure. and say that, hey, you were wrong that whole time. Right. And throw in more spiritual distress on <laughs> right, you in right. that sense and change your whole belief system right before you pass away. Right. You don't want to. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. We're never going to do that. You're right. Uh, but uh, if anyone ever expressed interest in a different religion or wanting to learn more about something else, I would connect them to someone that's meaningful to them that they might already have a relationship with. Sure. And if they didn't have anything like that, I could connect them to someone of that particular faith sure. that they could speak to and gotcha. stuff like that gotcha. just to help with that process. Oh, wow. Wow. That's pretty deep. So tell me, when you hear the the, uh, the words, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, what comes to your, what comes to your mind? My heart jumps for joy. Right. That's what it is. Right. In the sense of it needs to be talked about more and it weeps that we have to talk about it at all uh, in the sense of all the pain and suffering that has been caused in the past. Uh, and so when I think of diversity, equity, inclusion, I'm just thinking finally. Finally. So tell me about the, what do you think about the current state of, of the DEI? In our culture? You know, yeah, in our society. It's politicized. It's politicized. And it's politicized so much that it's hard to get to the root of the issue. Absolutely. I think that it's, uh, I think it's also that it's it's watered down. Mm. Tell me more. When I say watered down, I think that, okay, so you have your, your DEI. So where did, when did all this come up? That's a big question. Okay, so the big thing came up when George Floyd. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then it was just about, you know, brown-skinned people. Yeah. Right. And so we want to see to make sure that brown-skinned people are treated fairly. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So then they start bringing everybody else into the mix. You know? So when I say everybody else, then now you have, and this is a, this is, I think this is a, 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 a brown skin movement, which they watered it down. So, okay, so you know what? We're not going to say, uh, uh, what is this? A uh, black lives matter. We're going to say, we're not, we, we, we might not say black, my black, black lives matter. We might want to say all lives matter, but we're going to include everybody in this diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, okay. You understand what I'm saying? A little bit. Oh, okay. So, okay. So here we go. So, so basically I, I, I feel like when I say it's watered down, yeah. it's, it takes away from the primary reason. 
So, like, saying how all lives matter waters down black lives matter and takes away that power. Right, takes away that power. So now you got, uh, so now in your DIE programs, you got everybody's in included. Ah, so it waters it down because there's so many different things. That's exactly right. So you have to, so when you have to stay with, if you, if, if if we cooking cornbread, we got to make sure that we stay with the cornbread. <laughs> yeah, you understand true. what I'm saying? So if we're dealing with Black Lives Matter and we're going to bring in diversity and inclusion, okay, let's just keep it there. Okay, let's yeah. just let's just hone down on one. Yeah. Okay, let's just do this. This is what we're going to do here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We're going to concentrate on this. So if you're going to do uh, uh, any any anything else, just just uh, pinpoint that one and work exactly. on that one. But so now you got everybody in a big old group. Mm-hmm. You know, you got everybody in a big old group, and so nobody's getting a proper attention like they should. I yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, so you so 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 therefore you just gotta be gotta be careful. So you know that's why. So sometimes you listen to a lot of people to say that hey man, DEI is a joke. You know because of that. You know. So look, let me ask you this question. It's very good. That's so let me ask you this question. So if you're dealing with a uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion program, what color should the person be if they're over it? <laughs> Very true. Okay. Yeah. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. Because if you have a brown-skinned person or a black person or whoever over that program, what happens? They can relate to what? And they know that they can, they can hit the needs mm-hmm. where, they, where they need to be met. But if you got a a, 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 a a white person over that program, you still don't know the needs that need to be met. Yeah. All you're doing is hearing us. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So therefore, that's what, that's, that's what I'm talking about on that and, right there. No, and, and I hear you there too. And what I would say to that is who should be over a DEI council? Uh, that's tough because if it's an African-American individual, yes, uh, they know everything going on True. with all those issues. If it's a Hispanic individual, sure. they know everything going on with their issues. Yeah, right. Remember the LGBTQ community. Absolutely. You know, and I think you're right in the sense of you get so many cooks in the kitchen. What are you even going to come out of that kitchen? Right. When there's so many different areas that right. we have to address. Right. We can barely address anything at all. Right. Absolutely. If we do address everything, it's so light that it doesn't right. make any impact or change. So, right. Absolutely. That that's all I'm trying yeah, to say. Very true. <laughs> so very what true. what what do we need to do, you know, more to promote, you know, diversity? Ooh, to promote diversity and inclusion. Is not to be scared of it. True. Uh, and, and that's that's the scariest thing is you get pushback from the people who are in power who are not of that diversity. Right. Because we're scared of losing power. Right. And wow. That's tough. Yeah. And, and, Absolutely. And that's, that's the truth right there in that sense. And that's why you get the pushback. That's why it becomes politicized is because we don't want to lose power. And so let's change it. And it's not about being loving and caring. Now it's about what side of the aisle do you sit on? Right. You know, instead right. of actually dealing with the issue. We're all in it together. Exactly. We're all in it together. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So uh, how can we better educate, you know, people about oh. this? <laughs> how can you? Wow. People who don't. 
that's that's a really hard question to answer. Because again, and I don't want to just keep repeating what I'm saying. Sure. It's okay. just because of how politicized it is. Right, right. Because people already go into these conversations right. with their own ideologies and they're set in stone. Right. And they don't view it in an open manner. Right. Because they think they already have all the information. Right. And the idea that if you come in with an open mind, ready to learn and understand more. Sure then change can happen. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it has to go more with not how we educate, but how those approach the education. Right. Absolutely. Mm. What about your team? How diverse is your team? When you say diverse, what are you referring to? Uh, race, race, uh, gender, uh, yeah. not as diverse as I want it to be. Yeah, I will say that. Uh, and I think I would almost always say that. Uh, you know, we have uh, male and female, mm-hmm. we have uh, African American, we have Caucasian, we have Hispanic, uh, but we could always have more, right. Right. Uh, more diversity. Uh, I would like in the future to see, we're, and we're pretty diverse when it comes to spirituality sure. as well. Great. And I would even like to see some more diversity in that area. Good, good, good. I think the, the more, the more diverse your team is, you know, the better, the better it is, man. You, you, you have a, uh, a sense of, how everyone feels about different things, exactly. you know, and my group, I have, I have a, a bunch, man. I have Hispanic, I have, I have white, black, female, you know, and, 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 and everybody, everybody means something to me, mm. you know, everybody's opinion matter. Yeah, and I want to hear those different perspectives right. because that's how I'm going to grow. Right. As Absolutely. Well. If I just surround myself with people of sure. the same ideology, my same, way of thinking, then I'm never going to change. I'm never going to grow and I'm going to be right. the same individual. And what's the point of life if sure. it's just like that? Uh, and so I I hope to foster a department that is very diverse and freely sharing of ideas where we continue to sharpen and shape in others. Right. And most importantly, ourselves. Right, right. And so, man, I tell you, I have come a long way, man. I've been in management for quite some time, over 25 years. I've been in disposition for 21, going on 22 wow. years, and, and I've learned a lot. Where When you think that you know everything, man, you you don't know nothing <laughs> but, uh, oh, <laughs> because man. it's a new generation that's coming out there that that, mm. that, that has something for you, you know. Uh, uh, this new generation is uh, really, really savvy, man. They're tech savvy, computer savvy. They are, no, they are, they are a good they're a, a good group of a uh, good group of people, you know. I'm already told I'm old because I use Facebook. So. Oh man, don't even tell me. Man. I didn't know that was old. Yeah, oh, oh, oh. man, no, they use Instagram <laughs> or Snapchat know. now, right? Yeah. My wife gets onto me because <laughs> I don't. I'm not on the. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm on Facebook. You know, you <laughs> yeah. might find me on Facebook every once in a while, but you know, I don't do the Snapchat. Yeah, and, I didn't and, do I. Yeah, Instagram. I don't do that kind of stuff neither. So uh, tell me, uh, who influenced you growing up? Who influenced me growing up? That's a big question. Uh, man, 
I would say one of the biggest, and I don't want to be all cliche, say my youth pastor, because I was a chaplain, <laughs> but it is my youth pastor. But in the sense of the way he approached Christianity, mm-hmm. it was less about, uh, oh, just, it, it was more about getting to the meat of it. And he had us reading C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton. Oh, wow. All these theological books to further deepen our understanding. And we would even read uh, Christian history books. Sure. And it just blew my mind. Went from just doing like, oh, little Sunday school stories of Jesus sure. or about the Old Testament versus digging deep. And right. it just blew my mind that you could dig that deep. Right. And so that type of discipline and discipleship that he instilled within me was something that was uh something i looked up to right right you know uh there's it, it, there's a difference between uh than than you and me besides we're white and black but you know <laughs> so so look so my mom was a pk's kid my grandfather was a minister oh yeah yeah my grandfather was a minister and my mom she uh, played the piano in the churches that my grandfather ministered, you know, and so now I've always heard there's only two types of PK kids: what? those that are crazy <laughs> and go off the rails, or <laughs> those who are goody two shoes. Oh, mom was neither one. You were neither one. Uh, mom was mom oh, was mom. mom was neither one. Me, uh, I was wild. Wild, okay. I was wild. I, can see that. I, I was that. I was wild, <laughs> and oh man, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to be living right now. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I think that was all my, my mom's prayers, you know. I think it was bec- it's not because of you, it's because you got that label of the PK kid. Yeah, There's hey. Something about that. Yeah, and when I was growing up, you know, that's all they knew, that man, yeah, yeah. That, that was that's Reverend Lucas' grandson right there. Yeah. yeah, he's a desperado. He's a bad kid, you know. Yeah, but I have an uncle now. Now, he's totally a little bit different than I am, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the curse of Cain is what a PK kid is. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, absolutely. So, mom, uh, how how she, how she taught us, man. She she was one that she was saying whatever you do, you do it good, you mm-hmm. know. You know, you treat everybody the same. You know, uh she also uh I was also in church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday. Uh Either I was singing in the choir, you know, uh, ushering uh, or doing something. I was in the church every Sunday, you know. So, but, you know, that's what, that was, in, that was what was instilled in me. You Do know? you think you were pushing back from like being at church all the time? Now? Yeah. Like with that, is that what made you wild as a little, as a youngin? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah. so because I, man, I, I, I couldn't go play. I couldn't do the yeah. things, you know, it's hard being a PK's yeah. grandkid or whatever, you know, you and my mom eyes. and my mom was a school teacher, you uh, know, and, and, and I mean, we had standards, you know, Hold on, was that the school you went to? Uh, well, she, she, <laughs> look, so no, she taught at another school, okay. but she would come to my school, spank me and go back to her school. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, absolutely. So that yeah, just made my day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and go back to her school. Yeah, man, that's when you could, you know, you know, spank the kids, you yeah, know, and everything yeah. like that. My yeah. mom would come over there, man, <laughs> yank me up. But then when she when she retired, she also was a substitute teacher, and I got spanked at school. Oh. Yeah, so my cousins, you know, tell me about that all the time. You remember when Aunt Thelma came over there that's and beat amazing. you at school? You know, that's yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, my mom, man, my mom and my dad. My dad mm-hmm. was a hard worker you yeah. know didn't go to church you know unless it was a funeral or something like yeah. that but he was a hard worker he showed me how to work and mom taught me uh you know my spiritual my spirituality basically yeah, you know and i and of course you go out and 
I, I strayed away and I came back. I came back yeah. with a vengeance, man. I, yeah. I'm going to preach, man. I'm preaching now. So, you know, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so man, I really appreciate you coming on the Icon Leadership Show, man. It was a pleasure having you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. That's all, folks. Thank you for listening to the Icon Leadership Show. You can reach us at iconleadership at gmail.com or you can uh, reach us at iconleadership.org. Thank you. You can find the show anywhere you get your podcast. You can find us at roguemedianetwork.com or you can email us at iconleadership at gmail.com or our website, which is iconleadership.org.